I think we all know innately if we say something nice to our friend or our mom, people, or we have something nice to us, we stand up a little bit straighter and we just feel good about ourselves. And so it's like, I, and that was just that visualization. I kind of made that connection like, okay, like our words have this much power. How can I need a reminder? How can I remind other people to like use that? You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that excerpt was from Josh Newman, the founder of Kind Lips, who started a lip balm company to serve as a constant reminder for customers to start saying kind things. And in this episode, Josh opens up about what made him change career paths, how his mission is his marketing, and three powerful habits that changed his life. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for the real Josh Newman. Enjoy. Sounds like a plan? Yeah. All right. Well, let's dance. Let's get started here. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Releaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Josh Newman, the founder of Kind Lips. Josh, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. All right. So 2017, Kind Lips, the, the lip balm company inspiring people to be kind, is started. Now, Josh, where were you both personally and financially before this idea came about? Uh, great question. Personally, I was... I just moved to a new um, condo in Minneapolis, and I was in the real estate world, and and uh, was so very excited. I kind of bought my dream home, and and I moved in. But at the same time, personally, I was feeling like I wasn't being challenged with work anymore, and I wasn't being fulfilled um, financially. I was in a better place than I thought I would ever be. You know, when I was going to college, and you kind of have dreams and aspirations of how much money you want to make a a month or a year, and I and I more than exceeded that. So that was a really good place to be in, which allowed me to, to start Kind Lips. Interesting. So when you say, when you talk about this unfulfillment, what do you mean by that? Kind of go into detail and describe what that felt like. Yeah. Um, and, and I wrestled with that for a while. So, you know, I was a realtor that did some real estate development and I was in that industry for 10 years. And for eight of those years, I woke up every morning and honestly loved it. I thought it was my dream job. I got to work with amazing clients and I just really, really loved what I did. The beginning of the eighth year, I started waking up and wanting to go on vacation every day. And so I traveled a lot. My, my ninth year of the business, I was gone more than I was even at home. And luckily I built a system up. So I had a team that could kind of take care of everything. Um, every time I came back from vacation, all I wanted to do was leave, leave again. And I started to have the realization that um, maybe what I was doing wasn't what I was called to do anymore. And it was it was scary to me because I had worked so hard and loved it for so long. And I realized like there was, I was coming to this new season of life. And along with that, I, I was, you know, in real estate, I had built up a, a pretty consistent base of income that was coming in every month and um, more than I ever expected to have. And, and it was going to be, I knew that when I was going to transition to do kind lips that I had to completely walk away from real estate and give it my full attention. So doing so I was walking away from, from that money that I had come used to having on a monthly basis. 
Interesting. So uh, you're going from real estate to a lip balm company. Yeah. I mean, was this an epiphany you had? Was this something where you saw, you said, oh, I think I think lip balm would be a great career path to, to try. It sounds as crazy as it actually is. So I, I still have a hard time um, fathoming how that happened. I was, I was literally sitting on my couch right when I moved into that new place and struggling with like, okay, what do I want to do with my life? Real estate doesn't bring me fulfillment and happiness anymore. And I was, uh, I was I literally sitting on my couch and I had a lip balm and I was just twirling it like this. Like I've never had a nine to five job. So I'm like, what am I going to do? And I looked at my hand and I saw that lip balm. I was like, I've always loved lip balm. This can't be rocket science to start a lip balm company. And I was like, next thought was like, that's pretty messed up. That's weird. Um, but so then I was like, okay. Then I started going through this process. If I'm going to start a lip balm company, how can I do it different? And I was um, like, I can't compete with Burt's Bees and EOS and kind of the, the, the workhorses of the lip balm world. And what ended up happening is um, about a week prior to this whole self-talk conversation, I came across this Japanese scientist and Dr. Emoto. And he did this. He did this. It was like a YouTube video or Facebook video. But he did this thing where he took these three jars, uh, glass jars, had them sanitized the same way. And he took a bag of rice and put a scoop of rice in each jar. Then he put some distilled water in each jar and he sealed each jar up. And he put a piece of tape on each jar and wrote one he wrote love. The next one he went to it wrote hate. The third one he didn't write anything on it. And so for 30 days he walked up to these jars and he said, I love you, I hate you, and I don't, you know, nothing to it. So at the end of the 30 days, a jar that he said I love you to, the rice stayed really white. And when he said, I hate you to the rice turned black. And the one he didn't say anything to was kind of brown and mushy. Hmm. And it was just this physical representation of like the power of our words. And, you know, so a week prior to me having the lip balm epiphany, I read that and I started like reading more. And he also did a water study where he'd like pray over water or bless water and, and freeze it on the molecular level. And it would look like a snowflake, extremely symmetrical, or he'd say negative things and freeze it. And it was very blobbish. And, and, and I made the connection that our bodies are, you know, 85% give or take water. And if our words or energies have that much of an impact on water, what does that do to, to me or the next person that I give a compliment to? And I think we all know innately if we say something nice to our friend or our mom, people are, we have something nice to us, we stand up a little bit straighter and we just feel good about ourselves. And so it's like, I, and that was just that visualization. I kind of made that connection like, okay, like our words have this much power. How can I need a reminder? How can I remind other people to like use that? So um, me being, the, you know, thinking I was really smart and uh, creative, I, I came on was like, okay, I'm going to call this lip balm company Blessed Lips. And it's going to be prayed over and have positive energy spoken into it. I'm going to market it towards Christians, um, yogis, kind of more of the spiritual side. And I was like, this would be a fun little project. Well, my mom happened to call me soon after and um, I told her my idea. And she's like, oh, you know, she was talking about some family stuff. At the end, I told her my idea. And she's like, you'll be great at whatever you do. I've got to go dinners on the table. And, and I love my mom, but I was really looking for my ego. It hurt my ego because I was like, I need a little bit more uh, feedback than that. So the funny part about it is the next morning, um, 6 a.m., my phone's ringing and my mom was calling me, which is unusual. And I picked up the phone, asked her if everything was okay, and she said it was, but she had the most vivid dream she's ever had in her entire life. And if you knew my mom, she has a lot of dreams and is very spiritual, and, and so that wasn't a surprise, but to hear that it was the most vivid dream was kind of threw me back. 
she said that she had a dream that me and my sister that's older, she's like, I had a dream that you and Aubrey were young and you got in this massive fight and that I had said a bunch of mean things to my sister. And so, of course, I got punished and I had to write sentences. And she said she made me sit down and I had to write the law of kindness is on my lips 50 times. And she said she was standing over my shoulder. And in the dream, every time I wrote the words kind and lips, they flew off the page and hit her in the face. She goes, I think if you're going to start this lip balm company, you're supposed to call it kind lips. And I literally got chills. And I was like, I kind of knew I'm like, all right, this is where my life is going. I'm going to I'm going to start a lip balm company. And so I got off the phone, went online and luckily the URL was available. So I bought that and I was like, okay, now I got to figure out how to make lip balm. So I literally started finding every recipe I could find, every brand and writing all the ingredients down and researching each of them. And my Fridays and Saturdays consisted of me uh, mixing lip balm up on the stove until I found a formula that I thought I liked. So that's incredible. That's incredible. My mom's the same way too. She's always got those dreams and she's always talking about them. And you know, there's something to that though, about that energy. Um, and like, you know, going back to the rice example. Um, so how are you kind of baking that message into kind lips now? And what are some of the results that you've seen? I, I know you mentioned you were going to market it to some yogis. How has that changed and who's the market now? Yeah, it's interesting. The market is continuing to change as we get more data. You know, at first there wasn't a market at all because I was like, okay, everybody needs a reminder. So the intention of the product is each tube is a reminder to say something kind every time you apply it. So uh, that's really what the message is. And and we want, you know, everyone to associate the tube of lip balm, whether it's kind lips or bird's bees or somebody else, like with speaking kind words. So that was like the whole premise of it. And then as we grew, um, so the interesting thing went from the business standpoint is we also have a give back. So we give 20% of our profits to anti-bullying organizations. And I thought that that was just a nice thing that we do because that's something that I was raised to always give back and contribute. And I always have. But what ended up happening is the, the, the support for the bullying organizations is what started driving the business. When I thought it was going to be more so the behavior modification tool of the tuba lip balm. Um, and that was only because that was my experience in, in my self-development journeys using behavior modification tools. So, so I found like moms were using it. And then all of a sudden I found that teachers were using it. And then I had a couple of teachers reach out and say, Hey, like I bought this for my classroom. And we did a little, we did a little lesson around it. Now my third graders are reminding the, the other classmates to put their kind lips on. And so I started hearing that over and over again. So then we started developing a school program. So we have like a kindness challenge and it goes into schools and then, a couple different businesses had reached out and they had bought it for all their employees. And they said the employees had started keeping it on their cubes at desk and they started reminding each other to put their kind lips on if, if people were gossiping. And so people have started using this in different ways than I had intended. You know, the bullying drove a lot of the sales and, and we haven't had much of a budget to market it as a behavior modification tool. Um, and as a reminder to say something kind as much as we would like. So we're kind of at this transition period where we're getting that budget so we can start really sharing that message of each two being a reminder to say something kind. And we're just gonna pause here really quick, folks, because do I have a story for you? It involves eating cookies and giving back. And if you like the sound of that, you, my friends, have to learn about my new sponsor, Nunbelievable. They're a direct-to-consumer baked goods company on a mission to donate one million meals to the food insecure 
by 2022. Here's how it works. When you or your corporation or a friend orders a box, it's gonna show up at your house, at your door, nicely packed, and then they are going to donate two meals to soup kitchens across America. Okay, folks, another thing you need to know is that you, lucky listener, today are receiving 25% off. You gotta try these cookies, they're amazing. This one right here is the the double chocolate chip. I've already gone through the peanut butter today. Delicious. Again, folks, real-leaders.com slash podcast. Enter in code REALLEADERS, that's all caps in one word, REALLEADERS, and you, my friends, are going to have a box like this. Show up at your door. It's going to be 25% off, and you're also going to be donating two meals to someone in need. So be a smart cookie and build sweet relationships with the unbelievable cookie. Enjoy. You know, that's so interesting. It's like every time we have an organization on the show that's talking about like a give back model, you know, a lot of people be very skeptical about it sometimes, including myself. There's some, it depends on the company on really what it is. But the last company, this company I have right here, they were saying almost the exact same thing is by giving back. It's it's oh, it's a it's a marketing mechanism that's driving growth and driving sales in the right way without even having to spend a dollar. Can you attest to that? And what are some of the results inside these schools? I remember you you shared one uh, about the kids in the classroom. When you talk about energy, you talk about impact. What are you seeing in the communities? Yeah, it's, it's been really fun. So the, the give back definitely is driving a lot of the marketing and I don't know if it's my own, you know, cause I am more on the introverted side. And so I don't like um, anybody knowing that I'm really part of the industry. And I, and I, I think from my own personal beliefs, like the give back actually is something that I just do out of desire to help. And I, and it, and it's hard for me to accept the fact that that's driving business because I don't want that to, to be the driver of business, but I understand that it is. So that, that part is really difficult, but I also like, you know that it's important if people want to get behind that and rally behind it, then I want to let them and support them and, and not take away from the business because ultimately it, it can be a win-win for everybody. You know, we can sell more lip balm and if somebody wants to get on board because we're helping to prevent bullying then so be it. Um, from the social impact, it, it, you know, especially in the school system, it's, it's been really, really fun. And, uh, you know, when I, that first teacher had reached out and told me that she had implemented this in her, in her school, it kind of blew my mind. And I went from like, okay, we should start implementing this or trying to develop a program for high schools and middle schools. And then I, as I thought through that and processed it, I realized like, so I went to school originally to be a special education teacher. So I went back to some of my old notes and I remembered that um, I was told that we know 85, we learned 85% of what we're going to know our entire lives by the time we're eight years old. And it was such an interesting fact to come back and go to that. And I've heard up to some people say up to even 90% of what we know our entire lives by the time we're eight. So I was like, well, man, instead of trying to stop this behavior, change this behavior in high school and middle school, let's try and do this in the elementary school. And so, you know, let's teach kids and make that association, you know, at that third grade, second grade level. And, and weirdly enough, you know, when I think when I was at young, I didn't use lip balm or I used Vaseline, but no one else in my class would really use it. Now at that age, a lot of kids are, are exposed to lip balm and use it. So 
So it's fun to bring that in. Um, it's fun to see kids using it. It's a kind of a way that diffuses a situation. If somebody says, hey, go put your kind lips on, it's not really them telling you that you're a bad person. And so it's kind of that buffer to, to help diffuse the situation, but also to like be a little friendly, kind reminder that, you know, you should, you should be a little nicer to your classmate. Just a constant reminder. And it's always yeah. on your lips too. I, th- I yeah. think that's so great. Now it's, it's so integrated into your, your business now. I mean, it's who you were. It's, it's, a, it's coming from your mom's epiphany. Uh, yeah. It started with the anti-bullying movement. Now it's in the schools and kids are being impacted by it. students and teachers and moms are buying it now. It's totally integrated in. Do you think if you were going to take away that social responsibility aspect, that take away the anti-bullying, take away the whole kindness theme, that your business would still be able to thrive and profit? Man, it's hard to imagine. Great question. It's hard to imagine that not being part of our business because right. it's been with us at our. It's at our core of who we are. You know, before we did anything, before I sold a tube of lip balm, like I already knew that that was essential to who we are as a company. Um, the you know the kindness thing definitely revolves around our because that's part of our name and and part of our DNA. We couldn't remove that. But the anti bullying thing, I, I, you know, because we have a a really good product. I mean, I think that we've got the best product for the price point. Um, similar formulas sell for 18 to 32 bucks on Amazon. And, you know, we're trying to retail at $4 a two. So, and so we have a, the most expensive formula that our manufacturer makes. And, and I'm okay with that because it was like, you know, if we're going to do something that's a reminder to be kind, it also has to be kind for your lips. And, and so I, I would rather make less margin and have a really good product at that price point. So I think we would still continue mm. to do well as a business. Um, but I think that the, you know, that all just kind of adds up to be a win-win for everybody. Mm. All right. And now do you think the marketing would be the same too? You said the marketing was a big aspect of that. If you were to take away that this kindness aspect, this anti-bullying movement, the, the 20% give back, do you think the uh, marketing, uh, pro- you know, the, the profit margins from your marketing would be the same? No, because I don't think we would sell as much. You know, I think that's the, the interesting side is, you know, and to my own uh, surprise is I, I, you know, I didn't know that that 20% to stop bowling is is what opens a, a lot of doors for us to get in and actually mm-hmm. sell not only with online and, and the customer, but also with retailers as well. Because, you know, every every space now, especially that's on a, on a shelf somewhere, is a, is a competitive space. And for us to, it, it really gives us a differentiator um, when we're talking to, you know, the local grocery store, to the Targets, to the Walmarts, to those CVSs of the world is they want to know what are we doing different? Why are we different? And, and that also trickles down to the consumer. And when the consumer is looking at what they want to put on, why are we, why are you different? So when they know that, you know, we're putting our money where our mouth is, I think that helps them to make a decision and, and helps them to to become more um, aligned with our brand and want to support us. So Josh, I saw uh, everything's made in the, in the United States. What are some of the ingredients, if you can share them uh, with our audience yeah. that goes into this lip balm? Well, one of the beautiful things about lip balm is that there's no profiles or no ingredient profiles that are proprietary. So, you know, all the products or a lot of the products that make it up are their global products, you know, coconut oils coming from Thailand or India and olive oil and shea butter, beeswax. And so, you know, we, we try, I really, because I'm, I'm kind of a minimalist and I wanted to have the most effective ingredients 
with the least amount of the most effective least amount of ingredients. So, so we really we have six basic ingredients that we use, and each one serves a different purpose. Um, and we have a few different flavors that add into those ingredients. But at our core, unscented product, it's six ingredients. And you know, the base of it is coconut oil. Then we have beeswax, olive oil, shea butter, some vitamin E. So. So I'm thinking about the bees right now. Where are the bees coming from? Do you know where exactly the farm is? Yeah, there's a few different farms. So we um, we use there's a few different farms that are designated to be like a sustainable farming practice. So the actual beeswax that we're harvesting to use for our product, they are we're increasing the bee population by using it. So no bees are hurt or harmed. And we're actually, they're adding farms to them to continue to increase the bee population. And, uh, you know, it's funny, my mom is extremely passionate about bees and uh, you couldn't make this stuff up. And, uh, but, you know, so I learned a lot about that even before doing this and, and having an opportunity to to help with the bee population because they're such a vital source of, of this world and, and the climate that we live in. You know, so it's fun to be able to contribute to that. I know that we've had a couple of messages from people reaching out that, that don't want us to be using beeswax. And I and I thought about, you know, is this something that I want to do? Is it? But ultimately, the, the more research that I've done, I, I thought the, the responsible decision was to continue to like use beeswax and have a positive impact on that industry so that we can have more bees. Mm, so. Interesting. I like that a lot. So, Josh, uh, now that the company is growing, you know, it's been three years. Uh, what are some of the lessons that you've been able to take away? And in comparison to your past career in real estate, are there any similarities or differences in terms of managing a team? Yeah, um, real estate was a, was a really good primer for what I'm doing. You know, it's you're self-employed, you're doing all your marketing, you're doing all your um, scheduling of appointments, you're doing all your follow-up, all the paperwork, everything you know, especially getting going when you don't have a budget to hire help. And so I was able to do that, build a lot of those skills and sales as well and communication with clients. And, and so I learned all those skills out of necessity and then was able to hire a team that could help me be more efficient. And so kind of leaving that world and coming into the, the lip balm world, a lot of those same skills still translate I w- And I would say the biggest one is just treating, it's kind of the golden rule. It's treat others the way you'd like to be treated. And starting a lip balm company, a lot of people are like, oh, that's so cool. You've done so much in three years. And for me, I'm like, it's just kind of like who I am. So it Mm. doesn't really like I'm doing anything. And like, Mm. I wake up, I return emails, I return calls, I reach out to people. um, I do what I say I'm going to do. And I treat people with kindness and respect. And and we just continue to grow. And to me, that's not rocket science. It's just kind of something that, that we should do as a human being is treat everyone else like they're they're a human being and they're just as valuable as we are. They might not have as much money or might not dress as nice or might not live where we live, but ultimately, like I don't think there's anybody that is intrinsically more valuable than someone that just happens to be homeless or someone that happens to be a refugee or somebody who happens to you know have a different um, upbringing. So, Josh, where does this mindset come from? Is this something that you, you know you've always had this uh, positive outlook on life? Um, is this something that you are are practicing every day? Is it a meditation thing? Where does this attitude come from, and, and how can someone listening to this uh, adopt a, a mindset like yours? 
Yeah, you know, I would. That's probably another podcast to come to go through all that. But in my in my mid twenties, was kind of a, a low point in my life where, um, you know, in high school and in college, I always you know I was good at sports and good at school, and I just life had always kind of opened up to me, and it just became easy. And in my mid twenties, I was failing in my career. I was failing in my personal relationships, and and I just wasn't happy. And I kind of hit one of those points where I was like, okay, like. I can either turn this around and figure out what's going on and start trying to make an effort every day, or I can just live in this hell every day. And so I started reading, I started, you know, seeking my faith. I started, um, I did some different, I did Tony Robbins and landmarks and, and all these different personal development. I started going to therapy and I started just working on myself. I, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids, but I started reading books about how to be a good, partner in a relationship, how to be a good father. So that when I, I just want to continue to train myself to, to look forward to the future and not only look forward to it, to be prepared. So I've really gotten a good habit of reading and always trying to grow towards something. And as those skills developed, I think I became more aware of myself and I, able, I was able to self-talk more and self-diagnose and also work through that. And, you know, I do, you know, I have a really regimen morning practice where I get up at 5.45 and I read or meditate, you know, a combination of the two for an hour. And then I go to the gym for an hour. And then, you know, by eight o'clock, I'm, I'm ready to go for the day. And and I have the whole day to look forward to, to be productive. And, you know, those are two things that are really important to me is, is keeping my mind in shape as well as my body. And I think that, you know, the whole mind, body, soul thing is one of the practices that I really t- try and live by because... You know, there's a lot of people that are really intelligent and they focus on that or other people that have like a six pack and they focus on that. And, you know, it's like, I don't think there's just that one thing. Life is a kind of combination of, of everything. And I just want to continue to to practice what I preach and, and live that out as an example for for other people. And, you know, maybe it's just my my younger brothers that get to see that. But I want to continue to, to be that example for them. See, that's why I just find so interesting. You know, when you meet a guy like you or or an interview, I get, I get to interview someone like yourself. You just go, man, I just there's just something about him. You know, there's just something he's got it. He's got it. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to get there, but he's got it, you know, and I, I think it's that it's that that crucible I was I mentioned earlier on the show is is a, a crucible. I don't know if you if you're aware of what a crucible is, but it's a series of events uh, that trigger a, 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 a series of severe trials, really, like a lot of pressure when a lot of chemicals and elements get together and combust uh, to create something new. And I think that's really what people are experiencing in a time, like you said, in your mid-20s, when you're going through those hardships and you just hone down and, and figure it out. Um, it's it's common in a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of uh, social entrepreneurs that are looking for more purpose in their life, looking for more fulfillment. I, I just find that so interesting. Uh, so for people listening out there, uh, maybe explain to them how you sustain something like this because they're hearing right now, man, I can't wake up at 545 every day. I can't meditate for an hour. How do you sustain something like this, Josh? Yeah, I think the beautiful part is or the key to that that I, for me anyways, is that there's so many areas of my life that I need to improve on or want to improve on. And I think whatever that is, it's it's just figuring out you got to start somewhere. And it's so daunting when, you know, if I say I'm, I'm waking up at 5.45 and, 
and spend two hours or two and a half hours doing those things, that's, that sounds like impossible. But if you say, I'm going to wake up at, if you're used to getting up at seven, you say, I'm going to wake up at 7.45 and I'm going to read for five minutes and I'm going to do 10 push-ups and 25 sit-ups, you start there, you know, and it's, it's just, you got to start somewhere. And, and that's the easier part is we are always trying to compare ourselves to everyone else. Hmm. And there's people that I, I find, I fall in the trap of comparing myself to, to other people. And there's a lot of other 40 year olds who are way more successful financially and, and, and have had a larger impact than I have. But if I was trying to compare myself to, they've got a completely different journey, a completely different set of skills. And that doesn't mean that I might someday surpass them and be more impactful, but, and I, and I might not, you know, but it's like, I'm on this journey for my life. I'm going to deal with what, you know, I have from a skill set, what I have for resources and try and um, use those the best I can and, and to do the most good that I can. And, you know, another thing that I, that I love to challenge people to do that I come across is, is pick up garbage. And there's nothing that I've found more impactful in my life is to pick up garbage. And this started like four years ago when I was walking down the sidewalk and there was a piece of garbage and I walked by it. And I just kind of had this gut feeling. I'm like, I should pick that up. Hmm. So I went back and picked it up. Then like the, the next day I did the same thing and it was so easy to walk by it. And I just kind of felt like I need to go back and pick it up. So after I just kept consistently creating that to be a habit, I started picking it up before I walked by it. And, you know, last year I was actually out at a good friend, got married out in Boston, went out there and was with a group of friends who were walking downtown Boston and I'm picking up garbage and there's a lot of garbage on the street. And my friends were like, what are you doing? You know, I'm like, I just hate seeing just garbage laying on the, on the road. And next thing you know, we're walking around and they're picking up garbage. And I actually saw it be contagious and they wanted to like just pick up garbage. And it was like, why wouldn't we pick up garbage, you know, as a, as a culture, as, as in every city, if you walk by it, it's just such a lazy mindset to walk by stuff and just let it be. We all have the ability to make a difference to impact the world. And so if you start with just picking up one piece of garbage a day, maybe it leads to two, maybe your friend doesn't. Next thing you know, we're, we're living, we're taking responsibility for our lives, for our environment. And yeah, so I think starting with little things um, can lead to large things. I like that a lot. And, and when I'm thinking about this, what just popped in my head are like just inputs and outputs. You were talking about the rice example. You input some nice, healthy, kind words. The output is some growth. The question for you is, is your organization, Kind Lips, an output of all the inputs that you've been, the, the, the meditation, the yoga, the practice, the kindness into your personal body and the output is the business? Or is the business the input and now because of that what you are doing the picking up trash the kindness is the output that's all it, it's a combination it really isn't it you know as mm. we as kind lips continues to to grow and evolve like i'm i'm finding so much so many opportunities to grow and evolve too and and i feel like my experiences are have shaped kind lips and will continue to like this month you know we're for our social media we're really focused on self-love and it's because i I'm really good at being nice to other people or being kind to other people and, and giving compliments. But I, it, I, I really honestly struggle with like how I view myself and being kind to myself and truly believing that. So it's like, I, I don't want to be inauthentic and tell everybody else like, Oh, be kind to everybody when I can't even be kind to myself. So, so that part of me is driving, you know, what we're doing as a company, but also as I, the company grows and like we, you know, like the school program came from, what it was doing in the community. 
And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so that challenges me to, to become a better person and to want to walk out this journey of being kind always. And um, I, actually last weekend I watched the, the Mr. Rogers movie. And oh, okay. I'm not, or not, but it was, it was such an impactful movie. And Mr. Rogers was, I watched him as a young kid. And um, so it's cool to see that movie. But I thought one of the most beautiful things of that movie was that Mr. Rogers, you know, the movie was about Mr. Rogers or supposedly was. But in real life, Mr. Rogers was actually, you know, whenever he got interviewed, he always made the interview about somebody else. And he was always trying to learn about other people. And the movie ended up not even being about Mr. Rogers. It was about the gentleman that was in it. So that movie really portrayed who he was at his core. You know, and in, in that movie, I remember like he, when he was frustrated, he'd play the piano really loud and hit the keys. And it was like, that's how he learned to deal with his frustration. So, you know, I'm always trying to figure out if there's something that, that I'm, I could be more kind to the environment or I can, I struggle with recycling. <laughs> it's hard for me to, it's, it's tough. Not a big, oh yeah. Right? I have to like give myself little checks all the time and learn how to do it and try and get strategies to be better at, at uh, doing all those little actions of life, no matter how little, big or small. So that's what uh, a lot of organizations struggle with implementing into their work culture, um, social responsible principles. Um, now, an organization doesn't have to have social responsible principles to do this at all. That's that's definitely fair to say. Um, but there is this ideology that if you have um, socially responsible principles baked into your company, you're not going to be worried about the numbers. You're not going to be measuring things. You're not going to be profiting as much. Uh, for in this case, it kind of defies that. Uh, what have you learned about the social responsible pl- uh, ability place? Um, and where do you think it's going in terms of uh, trends and consumer uh, uh, trends in the future? Um. That's a question that I think is, is really interesting because for, I can only speak about us. I think that, you know, we started with this company and, and at our core, it was a reminder to be kind because, you know, when I was a little kid, I got a dollar a week for allowance and I had to bring 10 cents to, to church for offering. And so my parents raised me in a way that that was like part of it. As I grew in my real estate career, I continued to give 10% to charity or church. And, and I, as my income grew, I wanted to give 20%. Well, I can never give myself consistently give 20% off the top. And so I'm like, okay, when I'm starting this, I have to give 20% right away and bake that into the business. Otherwise, I'm never going to get there. And so that's where the 20% number came about. But I say that because it's it's all so authentic to who I am and who the company is, it works. You know, and I've heard stories of a lot of organizations, I think now are, are a, been around for a long time and or they're creating the organization around a certain product or a service. And then right before they roll out, they're like, oh, and we need to do a give back or we need to figure out something to contribute to, you know, just because that's what the millennials want. And and that never comes across as being authentic. It never comes across as being real. And, and consumers, what I'm finding are just people in general, and I don't know if it's social media or what, but people are smart and they're educated and they have a good sense of if something is authentic, it's they can tell hmm. and, it, and it's easier to a, a good example I've been using lately is that's very polarizing, but it's it's Donald Trump and Donald Trump will give everyone a nickname and it sticks and, and it's effective for him because it's authentically who he is. 
And, you know, if, if Joe Biden tries to give somebody a nickname, then he looks like the bad guy and he looks like he's being petty and all these sort of things. And it's not authentic to, to who that person is. So I think that's a good way to say, like, if Kind Lips is being authentic to who they are, their core and their mission, you know, people are going to want to gravitate towards that and, and support that. And any of these companies that, that aren't authentic with what their mission is, what their give back is, consumers are going to see right through it. Hmm, I like that a lot. Yeah. And that's what I'd say about a lot of the organizations that didn't really start with that core purpose, that core mission. It's like, oh, I, I'll, now I'll just give back or, oh, I, I don't want to give back because it's going to lose profits now. If it's not baked into the company, it, it probably won't work as, as effectively. I mean, I don't know. I could be defined. It might be wrong. Um, but I just found that interesting. Uh, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, and you obviously you don't have to have a give back to be a, a good company. You know, you could still just have a great product and pay your employees really, really well and, and uh, you know, clean up after yourself and, and, and do a good job and provide a good service, you know. So I, I, I don't, a lot of people, now that I'm in this space, I get people that are thinking about starting businesses and they want to do givebacks, in which I, I'm a, obviously a fan of it, but don't do a giveback just to do a giveback. If it doesn't have some sort of meaning to you or to your business and there isn't like, a real reason why you're doing it's never going to come across it's going to almost i think do more harm to your business than good do you think your employees sense that as well absolutely you know and, and not having a large budget to to hire you know somebody away if you're making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year we can't hire you away from somebody else unless you want to be a part of you know this dream that we're creating this vision that we have as a company and, and that's where I've been really fortunate to have people come alongside me and want to help that, that made way more money at other places and had way more security at other companies, but, but they felt like the vision and the dream and, and they want to be a part of the difference that, that we're making. And, and so it's fun to see that talent come in and want to support us. And I, I, I mean, it humbles me honestly every day. And I've, I've got a, a meeting this afternoon with a woman who's been at a Fortune 100 company and and ran a large division and she's like, I want to come work for you for free. We have a CFO that ran a $80 million company who retired and he came and he works for free. And it's like, it, it, it makes me want to cry honestly when I'm like, these people just want to help. And, and it's, I don't think it's because of me. It's just because of what we're trying to do and the impact. So that's incredible. Josh That is absolutely incredible. Now, what about investors? Have you reached out to investors? Do you want investors? How are you raising money for a kind list? I'm sure the, the manufacturing process can't be cheap. Uh, how are you able to produce so many you know, capsules uh, without investment? Yeah. And what type of investors are you looking for? So we, you know, I went, we haven't taken any money. I funded this myself okay. um, until now. And, and it, it's, we're kind of in that realm right now where it's like, okay, I know that I'm definitely a visionary, but I'm not, and I can be an operator, but it is a lot longer process for me to, to, you know, do the operation side. And if I, I'm not great at hiring people, there's a lot of areas that I'm not great at. And so I know I could learn those skills. Um, but do I want to spend the next two years developing those skills and in the meantime, not be able to grow the business. So I'm just starting to open up and have conversations and, and learn about who is going to be the right partner for us. Is it just a straight capital play? Is it an, is it a capital slash operation play and that could come in and really help take our business to the next level? So at this point, I still own 100%, but I'm starting to, to really 
seek out those potential partners and, and figure out what's going to be the next next step for us. If, if you're a visionary, you're thinking long term about this, what would hinder you from taking and uh, you know or giving away equity to an investor is there something does it matter who they are does it matter what their their core values are um kind of walk me through what you're thinking about uh, in the long run man well we're, we're going to process through this together right now because i you know I, absolutely i think that their core values will come into play and I'm very much in the moment and processing and making decisions, you know, kind of in, in real time. It's just how I've always operated. And so when I meet with somebody, when I have an initial conversation, like I get a feeling and I'm like, oh, they feel right. They feel authentic. This feels like comfortable to me. And then, you know, the next time I think it's going to be having a face to face meeting and like, does this person, you know, feel like somebody I want to have be a part of this company? And I would rather do this on my own than take money from somebody that, you know, I don't agree with what they stand for, Mm. um, you know, from a company or moral basis. So, so that is important to me who I align this brand with, um, you know, one point I want to kind of make is kind lips is a lip balm company. And I've had a lot of other people say, Oh, what, you know, do you have any other products coming out? What can you, you know, we want to cross sell. And, and I think that what I've seen from other companies that especially ones that have give backs is they, they start with a brand and they build it up because of their, their mission and, and they have a quality product, but then they're, you know, they're selling jewelry. Then all of a sudden they're selling um, towels and then all of a sudden they're selling clothing line and they just continue to deviate from what their core is. And I think that makes a brand inauthentic mm. and because our brand is a lip balm. And I knew when I named it kind lips, that was made, you know, it's specifically lips. So we could do a lip balm, a lip scrub, lipstick type stuff, but, but we can't do face lotion. We can't do other products that, because it, I think it takes away from the authenticity of what the core of the brand is. And then it starts to look like we're trying to, you know, take our, the people that are loyal to our brand and, and get more money from them in other areas that, that aren't authentic to what the brand is. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, Josh, it's been a pleasure talking today. I, I, I'm, I am, I'm interested though. I'm interested. What's been like the most difficult decision you've had to make throughout these past three years? Mm-hmm. Um, Take your time on this. It's, it's a pretty tough question. I know it's yeah, very specific. The, I think the most difficult decision was there's been a few and the first one, walking away from uh, real estate because I was so used to, to that income and that, and that money. So that was really difficult to walk away from. And then to, then to stick to the idea of not doing another deal. You know, even last week I got a call for a deal. Somebody had found a house, like, hey, we just need you to write a purchase agreement. Real easy, you could have made a good check. And it was like, I can't do that. And so that was the hardest part is just trusting this journey that I'm on and knowing that there's a bigger purpose and a bigger reason behind it. And in trusting that, you know, finances will show up, everything's going to work out. And, you know, I do have a strong faith and that, that leads into part of that is just like, you know, trusting God and just being able to, believing that this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I am making an impact. I'm making a difference and that, that I can't trust him in other areas of my life and not in this business. Um, yeah, so I think it's just that that trust. 
beautifully put. Yeah, I mean, ad- adoption doesn't come without trust. Everyone knows that too. So I really, really can relate to that as well, Josh. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Let's let's bring this full circle now. Uh, from all that we've talked about, from the energy, the inputs, the outputs, um, to the purpose of the brand, to how it's impacted uh, schools and teachers and people to be kind. Um, this is something that's unordinary. We talked about the crucible today, going through a series of severe trials that leads to a positive change. Josh, to you, what is your definition of a real leader? Someone who walks out what they preach and you know, I think it's the picking up garbage thing, you know, and, and in my office, I'll, I'll take out the garbage and I'll stay late and I'll sweep the floors. And if somebody needs water bottle, I'll go fill, the, fill their water bottle up. And anything that I can do to serve is how I like to, to lead by is, is by example. Josh, well put. Thanks for coming back on the Leaders podcast today. Uh, folks, kind lips, go out there, pick up the lip balm and spread those kind words, people. Uh, for Josh Newman, I'm Kevin Hours asking you to go out there and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you. Thanks, Kevin. All right, everyone. And thank you for tuning into this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, then please, by all means, hit the subscribe button to start receiving notifications of our bi-weekly podcast. And for all the lucky listeners out there today, you, my friend, are going to walk away with a free magazine. Go to realdashlayers.com slash subscribe and use coupon code podcast25 at checkout to start receiving your first magazine with a one-year subscription. That's four magazines for the price of three. All at realdashlayers.com slash subscribe. Again, folks, coupon code PODCAST25, all lowercase. And for the visual learners out there like myself, you want to watch this interview on your computer, your tablet, or TV, friends, family members, coworkers, make sure to subscribe to our new YouTube channel. It's awesome. We're getting more content up there every day. It's at Real Leaders Magazine. Simple enough, just one word, at Real Leaders Magazine. You guys subscribe to see all of our interviews with guests who are harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet people and profits folks thanks again for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode of the real leaders podcast